everyone, I'm Caitlin, and sex sells, or does it? Oh, cliffhanger. Okay, and I'm Zach, and uh, I'm going to do what every responsible white male should do in this situation and listen. So I'm going to be, you know, just here to listen and put my foot in my mouth probably three or four times. And welcome to Manipulating the Masses. Ah. Don't give yourselves to brutes, men who despise you, enslave you, who regiment your lives, tell you what to do, what to think, or what to feel, who drill you, diet you, treat you like cattle, use you as cannon fodder. Don't give yourselves to these unnatural men, machine men with machine minds and machine hearts. You are not machines. You are not cattle. You, the people, have the power. <laughs> Let's do this. Okay, Zach, how nervous are you on a scale of <sighs> one to ten? Like, I feel, I feel like I'm, you know, that t riding a roller coaster, that like tick, 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 when you're like going up to the, and you're just like that level nervous. Like I, you know, it's important, but I'm gonna, it's gonna be a ride. It's gonna be No joke. I'm <laughs> actually a little nervous to talk about this too, because I also <laughs> feel like I'm going to put my foot in the, in my mouth. And I'm sorry, we didn't even preface what we're going to be talking about. We're going to be breaking down gender roles in advertising. So we're going to be looking at some of the earliest ads dating back to the 1800s. And we're just going to keep walking oh, through wow. history uh, up until the 70s. And then I'm going to leave us on a cliffhanger. That's right. I'm going to break this up into two parts. Oh, I love it. Yes. Okay. Two-parter. I love it. Let's do it. I'm making history here at, at, at uh, Manipulating the Masses podcast, and we're going to do our first two-part oh, uh, podcast. I love it. That is an extra hour for me to put my foot in my mouth. So <laughs> yes. amazing. Perfect. Perfect. Um, so the reason why I'm, I am going to leave us on a cliffhanger around the 70s is because we're going to be paying special attention to uh, stereotyping gender roles in advertising and then mm. how it quickly shifted to the hyper-sexualization of women that we actually oh. are still kind of seeing uh, even in 2020. Um, but it's really important to note that that point that shift happened in the 70s. Um, so I want to dedicate an entire podcast to the hypersexualization of women. This oh, one's going to be it. exploring gender roles. Okay. Love yeah. That. So again, this might be a mini episode. I don't know. This could be our first two-parter and it could be our first mini. That's like, cool. Cool yeah. with me. Let's do it. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> Less chances for either of us to put our foot in our mouth. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So as I always like to do, I always like to, well, not always, but I do like to kick us off with a quote. So this one was from Kale Lawson, and I apologize if I butchered that name. Um, he's an Estonian Canadian filmmaker, author, magazine editor, and activist. And he stated, mm. Corporate advertising is the largest single psychological project ever undertaken by the human race. Yet for all of that, its impact on us remains unknown and largely ignored. When I think of media's mm. influence over years, over decades, I think of those brainwashing experiments conducted by Dr. Ewan Cameron in a Montreal psychiatric hospital in 1950. 
Those experiments mm. were the idea of CIA-sponsored depatterning experiments to outfit conscious, unconscious, or semi-conscious subjects with headphones and flood their brains with thousands of repetitive, quote, driving messages that would alter their behavior yeah. over time. Advertising aims to do the exact same thing. Yeah, pause. Yes. Let's Love, pause great here. Quote. Great quote. Do, what do you think about that? Do you feel like you're under advertisements control? Like, does that just, did that quote like make you feel yucky? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yes. And yes. Uh, I do think we're under advertisements control. We have not only is it a constant, I mean, uh, in, in the sense that we don't even realize it, like it's constantly bombarding us. We've talked about it before. Our eyeline is monetized everywhere. I'm looking out my window. One, two, three, four ads i can see out my window right like there is it's everywhere and it's constantly being hit and it, because it's everywhere we don't notice them all but we still like consciously subconsciously register them i 100 percent agree and for me i actually i'm not going to put you on the spot but maybe you can talk to this is like I remember when I really thought about this, I remember my childhood being influenced by advertising. And I am pretty well known in the company for kind of idolizing Gucci campaigns. And even from an, a very early age, I knew I wanted to work in fashion, whatever that was. And when I was younger, I didn't understand that there were so many more facets of fashion advertising. So I just wanted to be a model yeah. because I was so heavily influenced by the campaigns that I saw in magazines and really kind of looking back on it, it wasn't a, the like a necessarily, I didn't want to be a model. I wanted to be a part of the glamour that was advertising. Mm. So I feel like it influenced me very early on. Do you remember a time or a pivotal moment in your life when advertising influenced you a print ad? Yeah, I no, not so much print ads. Um, I would say mine was definitely TV commercials, right? Mm. Like we consumed even as kids, we were in the age where we're watching TV all the time, right? Like little, uh, you know, Nickelodeon, Disney Channel, like when you're a kid, kid, like yeah. all of those shows. And yeah. those are just peppered with ads, right? We've talked about it there. Yeah. Those ads sell for a lot, toys, whatever, minivans now. Because they know the buying power of kids. Yep, yep. Mm -hmm. And not only that, like funny commercials that would make me laugh because they're showing them so many times, like our memory right and I remember wanting to I remember wanting to be in advertising and wanting to write funny commercials you know yeah. I thought that would just sounded so much fun like uh -huh. to write little funny commercials so yeah it's it, the the sense that we're aware of it as a kid of that advertising and as a thing I think is a new thing for our generation like we are consciously aware of it from the time we are a child child mm -hmm. um amazing yeah. Yeah. So I'm glad we talked about that. That might be the last time you have a voice in this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Good. Yep. Let me sip my coffee and let's, uh, time to, yeah, time to so, listen. Again, I just wanted to explore the history of how we got to where we are. Um, so we saw our first gender stereotypical ad pop up in the 1800s. And I think it's important to know how men and women in society 
society were treated in the 1800s. And this doesn't come as anything new, anything shocking, anything as a surprise, but men and women had physically different makeups. And actually, I'll pause here and say, I even tried to go way farther back and figure out how did even the 1800s start to define those uh, gender roles. And yeah. there's so many theses out there that I just didn't have the time or the bandwidth <laughs> to really dive into fucking gender <laughs> studies. But I think, you know, stating the obvious, it's men are physically stronger than women. And so their genetic makeup made them s- stronger back in the days when it was just hunting and gathering. Um, So that was kind of men's role. And the women were to, you know, take care of the children. They had their defined roles. Mm. In the 1800s, it started kind of expanding those roles. So not only were men stronger, but they were seen as more intelligent. Along with strength came courage, determination. Mm. So all of these really great qualities that come hand in hand with strength, men were starting to own those qualities. Whereas women were really taking a back seat, even though keeping care of the household is still a strong quality, they were taking on more kind of uh, lesser lesser adjectives, lesser qualities. So they were seen as governed by their emotions. Their virtues were expected to be modesty, compassion, chastity. Mm. Um, Men were thought to be more aggressive. Again, really just a synonym for strength. Uh, And women were more passive. In the late 19th century, significant change in gender roles started to happen, which really led to these separate fears. So back in the day, you know, men would contribute, women would contribute to one household, and they really had their parts. But in the 19th century, they started to separate those roles and separate those spheres. So the growing influence of evangelical ideology placed on females where domesticity, virtue, women's bodies were no longer, you know, seen as just a body. It was you were bred to have children. Um, You were the angel of the house. So and any women who failed to meet those expectations were really chastised and looked at as prostitutes with uncontrollable sexual desires. And for men, it's argued that increasingly public life and work was confined to men while women were expected to stay home. So those are kind of the two separating spheres that men and women were operating in. So in the 1800s, we really saw ads promoting these roles. Uh, women had their role and men had their role. Again, this first ad I'm going to show us. Oh, I actually, I can't wait because this is very much a visual podcast. Um, and all of these ads will be on our Facebook group. So please go visit our Facebook group to see all the ads that we're going to be talking about and all of the videos that I'm going to show Zach. So I'm going to start showing you uh, the first example of advertising in 1800. It says 14 hour wives of eight hour men need gold dust washing powder to enable them to get through work as early as their husbands. Gold dust saves time, strength, patience, and money. And this was run in Boston, Philadelphia, New York, Montreal. Okay. Okay. 
I thought it was interesting that, well, I, I was like, at first I didn't understand. I was like, what is a 14 hour wife versus an eight hour man? And I think what they're alluding to is women put in more work than men put in. Yeah. Like 14 hours. But I was just like, the the thing is like, why 14 hours? You know, like they're trying yeah. to say like women are, are working the house 14 hours while men go out and work an eight hour shift. Right. At the. Exactly. Um, but isn't a wife 24 hours isn't being a husband 24 hours like I, do exactly. you, you just like, like what a random number eight o'clock hits you're like yeah eight o'clock hits you're like i'm done no more wife shit today you know <laughs> like boom put it in at work um okay yeah. yeah and this was placed in the placement it looks like it was like in newspapers right like that was the the mode of of promoting this would they put it in newspapers and magazines yep. and stuff okay yep. cool exactly um, so this was kind of in the 1800s. This really continued on for decades until the 20s, when, of course, World War One started having a impact on women's roles. Look at you quoting World War One. Hey, well, we're getting look at this history podcast is playing a playing. A, yeah, I love it. I, love I did it. have to yeah. read a few articles for this specific podcast. So <laughs> yeah. I figured out when World but War One happened. <laughs> yeah, that's not gender roles either. Okay, maybe that was the first. No, that's not, no. We just know Caitlin from history no. is uh, it's Caitlin not my specifically area. is. Uh, <laughs> It's not my area. Geography and history, I could give a shit about. <laughs> so the 20s were really the first decade that gave way to this idea of a, quote, new woman. Women started having the power to vote, obviously. They now had opportunities in employment and education and the expanding concept of a woman's place However, marriage still remained the ultimate goal for women. So yeah. even though they were allowed to vote and they were starting to have more power in society, it was still women was, uh, sorry, marriage was the end all be all. Do you still feel um, that that's the same way today growing up in like as a quote unquote modern woman? Did you still get a lot of that influence that like everything was geared towards marriage? Absolutely not. I've never idolized uh and this is just me, of course, but I've never idolized the idea of marriage or finding a man. It was always very career centric, but everyone plays a different role. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I just think in the mid, well, you didn't grow up in the Midwest either. Maybe it was different my experience, but you know, I'm not a woman, but I, I, I could say like a lot of the women that I knew and growing up, you know, they loved it. What I would say is they loved the idea of marriage, which was crazy to me. Like they just loved the idea, but they didn't know who they were going to be married to. And I think that's the difference, but they were, and I don't know, that's probably has a lot to do with advertising and influence outside of it. Marriage was a focus and something that was always, if not in the forefront of their head, the back of their head. I'm so happy you prompted this discussion because now you're really making me think about it. And I did idealize my wedding. So it wasn't the idea of marriage. It was the wedding that I was like, you know, I, I was a stereotypical little girl who had like dresses on the wall. And that totally had everything to do with mm -hmm. advertising a hundred percent. Cause I was sold this idea of this is your moment to look 
the most beautiful that you could possibly ever look in your life. Like this is the pinnacle of what a woman will be, uh, is on your wedding day. And and so I do remember that from a very early age of idol. I cut out wedding dresses as a kid. Yeah. And you're not alone, right? You're definitely not alone. So while women in the twenties were finding their footing in society, advertising was still encouraging women to believe that their economic security and social status depended on successful marriage. So working women became the consumers of popular products and fashion. Women who, as an example, would never tolerate chewing tobacco or cigars were now being sold relatively clean and mild cigarettes. So cigarettes were kind of the first Mm. uh, brand to start advertising to women with the modern sophistication of look dainty, look cute, but we understand that you have buying power. So we are going to market to you versus the man. And that's really where the stereotypical like flapper image that you think of in the 20s came to be where women are holding like a very long slender cigarette. I was going to say that is elegant. Like that's the image that came to my head too, that long slender. It is elegant. During uh, the wars one and two, the advertising really shifted again into understanding the buying power that women had and they continued to idolize the perfect life as one that was subservient to their husbands so not only were women supposed to be homemakers but they were supposed to be homemakers that looked good and made their man feel good. So that's almost what I appreciated looking back. And this is where I might put my foot in my mouth, but like looking back on the advertisements in the 1800s where it was like, okay, we're defining roles. The men work, the women are the homemakers. Like those are two separate roles and and they both owned those roles. And now we're seeing this shift as women not only had a role, but they had an extra role to be subservient to men and support their man yeah, yeah. on a day-to-day basis. Yeah, very interesting. And I think, can we go back to your quote? Um, what was his name? I'm sorry. Calais Lassen. Calais Lassen, the quote from uh, Calais Lassen, because uh, this is where I think it gets interesting, is now we've seen advertising over decades and decades and decades promoting this. So what I think it's almost advertising inception where their parents of the the women in the 30s and 40s, 20s, 30s and 40s got fed this advertisement to be subservient. And as you're growing up and you're a little girl, your influences, you're going to get fed ads that are telling you this. In addition, your parents were fed ads that they bought into, that they believe it. So you, it just keeps the status quo because you're getting these major influences that have been um, manipulated by ads. Generationally. Yeah, yeah. Like your independent mind is getting manipulated by these ads and as well as your like respect for your parents and learning from your parents has been manipulated by these ads as well. So it is, it's, it's over this trended time, which is, amazing Mm -hmm. um if not sad in this case but the next 
ad I'm going to show you is, uh, yeah, from this era where men, where women were not only the homemaker. And I just want to kind of go back to this ad from the 1800s. And I'm going to describe it to our listeners. It's black and white. And it's a household setting. And the woman is down on all fours. She's in kind of an apron and a cleaning outfit. And she's scrubbing the floors. That's the image portrayed in the 1800s. Now I'm showing an ad from the 1920s or 30s, and it's this beautiful woman, glamorous. It's a glamour shot. She's all made up, done up, and she has a pack of cigarettes in her hand, and it says, after a man's heart. So the 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 portrayal of women was also shifting. It wasn't just like the messaging, you have to look good and take care of the home and support your husband the visual of women this was the the ideal to aspire to be do you know uh because the woman in this ad has a backless dress right like she yeah. her entire would you know is this considered risque for the time is this was this considered like talking about the hypersexualization? was was this considered to be like oh my gosh like you can see her back it is an interesting choice right yeah. like she could have been facing the front but instead the advertisement has her back is facing the viewer and you see all of her back i don't think it was risque i think it promoted actually kind of an upper middle class yeah gotcha. um because money and was scarce during the mm. wars so this really was kind of like the influencer that women aspired to be and look yeah. like can you read the tagline sorry can you read the tagline below her because it says after a man's heart i'm just wondering how they finished that after a man's heart dot 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 when smokers find out the good things chesterfields gave give them nothing else will do well that doesn't even make any sense i'm not following i that. don't think it's like even a sentence <laughs> yeah it's uh after that's... a man's heart dot 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 when smokers find out the good things chesterfields give them nothing else will do the man part just feels out of place right the next ad is a sketch it's not a photograph it's not a, it's a sketch of a woman and it says you five million women who want to get married How's your breast today? Whoa. Yeah, I loved that one. So women's femininity was being called into question. So you had to look good. You had to smell good. You had to, you know, everything was for marriage, for the man. In this era of advertising, and again, I'm talking about kind of post-World War One, going into post-World or going into World War Two. The girl, women and girls were promised success if they were slim, wore makeup, waited on their husbands hand and foot, while men and boys were promised success if they drank expensive liquor, joined the military, and did hard labor jobs. So those were two very different ideas of the successful uh person yeah so you would drink expensive li liquor and work hard labor jobs i mean it goes hand in hand but it just doesn't seem like you know you're working I hard mean, labor jobs you got to drink expensive liquor totally you know, totally that. and that when i think of television in the 60s i think of a man coming home from work and asking for dinner to be ready and a cold beer yep. like they had to drink yep 
hard, expensive liquor to kind of go back yep. and earn an income for their home. And the wife is vacuuming with high heels on. Yes, yes. That never made sense to me, those old ads with like the women cleaning in high heels. Like that sounds terrible. Like who does it? That sounds awful. I pulled an ad from that era and it said, buy her a Hoover vacuum. And it showed the exact same image that you're describing of a woman in heels vacuuming. So yeah. So I want to talk about the video that I had you watch. Mm. Um, yeah. And I'm yeah, going to yeah. listen. So this is, again, this is, this is World War II where, where things were kind of scarce. And I'm going to play this for our listeners. So this is an ad uh, from 1946, kind of in the style of musical comedy. Uh, this is something I had you watch. Um, so I'm going to play it for our listeners, and then I just kind of want to have an open discussion about this. So if you can't listen, <laughs> if you if you can't uh, make out what they're saying, they're saying this is a, a, a depiction of a newlywed couple and they're singing to each other. Uh, Zach is bopping in the background um, and they're saying it's a nice day to be married, especially to a beautiful girl like you. The man of I'll stop it there. <laughs> I will say you that. You didn't even let him I, get to the brand part, though. I know. Yeah, because, like, at first, I was like, well, I, you, I think we got to play it through because, like, it turns into a commercial commercial, right? Like, it does. I, okay, let's play it through. Let's play it through. Uh, so we have a couple, we have a, I think, 20 more seconds. Personality home run marketing. Personal Adelaide. Oh my God. How mm -hmm. long do you think it took them to come up with that? I thought it was no, probably run. not too long. They were like, we got to rhyme. We got to rhyme with personality, whatever they rhyme with. <laughs> yeah. Like, oh, they have to rhyme with personality. So they're like, oh, personality. Personality. Oh, 
gets funky at the end. That music Woo! break at the end gets a little, that gets funky. That's like what a ride. Mm-hmm. What a ride. So these are like the OG. Uh, sorry, these are like the OG TV commercials, though, right? Yes. Like TV is brand new. Yeah. These are like the OG. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Uh, and this was. So I knew this ad was going to be offensive in some way. Um, and I, it was advertising a cleaning product or, a, sorry, a laundry detergent, yeah. Persil, which obviously is no longer in business due to this ad. I'm just kidding. It's not due to this ad. But uh, the wh- where I really like felt offended was where I stopped it initially. And she said, oh, it's a nice day for a wedding, but hold up. Let me stop and tell the people why I am even here. It's be and why you're here. It's because at first I looked like this. I was drab and dreary. That's what she said. And she comes Ugh. out in this yeah. really. I, it's actually not even. It's just a different dress, but she considers mm-hmm. it drab and dreary. And then she started using personal laundry detergent and she changed her name from Miss to Mrs. All because of purple or Purcell. Uh, and I was like, she just calls herself out for being drab and dreary. Like, where is your self-respect, girl? <laughs> That's where I was like, damn, I knew that would be offensive, but I didn't realize like what type of emotion it would contrive in me. What did you think about the ad? Did you just like laugh the first time you saw it? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's I knew it was going to be problematic yeah. when I started yeah, it, you same. know, um, but... I, I just, I, what I felt, you know, from the male perspective was I wanted the guy to acknowledge his awkward phase because men and women go through the same awkward phase. And I wanted him to uh, go through that weird voice changing time. And it is like, I used to be a little, like, a actually, little that's asshole. so true. And- that's so true. They could have easily yeah. done that. Hey, I'm the woman and I used to be drab and dreary. Fine. And then the man said, oh, I also used to be drab and dreary. And then we both started using personal, yeah. but it's just so clearly depicts the woman is the only one doing laundry and she's the only one yep. who looked God awful before she met her Prince Charming. And now they're on their honeymoon and everything is wonderful. I loved all these ads. Like each one was about two minutes. So you know, us in this day and age, our attention span is not long. So I was like, fuck, I don't want to watch this for two minutes. (laughs) Yeah. I actually, I I watched like every single ad in this article because it was so fascinating to me. Me too. So that was an example of an ad that was being shown to women in the forties and the fifties. Again, this was a 1946 advertisement. So Moving on, uh, I want to, and this is where I'm going to cut our podcast short. This is kind of wrapping up part one of our podcast. Love is, it. Yeah. Um, by the 60s and the 70s, this is when advertising straight up starts to get offensive. Like that was kind of like gender roles. But this is straight up blatantly sexist. And this starts happening in the 70s. Um, Advertisers were able to get away with an ad for, again, feminine hygiene that said, feminine odor is everyone's problem. Oh. (laughs) Oh. 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 
Your reaction is say no more, say no more. Or a cigarette ad where a woman said, my boyfriend told me he loved me for my mind. I have never been so insulted in my life. Another one for a construction material, which showed a nude woman with sort of large derriere and thighs and the copy read, she's built like all of our products heavy where she has to take the strain. Oh man. Advertisers were getting away with this. That one is at least a little tongue in cheek, you know, like I, it's not great. Let's preface that. Like not, not helpful to society, but at least they're a little clever, you know, at least they like, there's some innuendo there. It's, uh, but like, oh my God. Okay. This is also where we start. I want to show you some ads. Uh, This is where it starts to get real fun. Oh God. All right. Here's an ad from Playboy. A woman bare chested on the ground, staring at a man's shoe. There's no man in the actual advertisement. And it said, and it says, keep her where she belongs. She's on the ground, laying down, bare breasted, bare chested, looking at a man's shoe. I'm looking at Zach's face and he's just like more confused than anything. I really, I, I don't understand what that means. I don't understand like kissing the floor that you that's walk on. That's what I was thinking too. I, that's a, that's what I interpreted was kissing the feet of men. Yeah. Like kissing the ground that they walk on. Right. Yeah. Like that. Yeah. That's how. Uh, okay. Wow. Moving on to the next one. <laughs> this is a cigarette ad. It says blow in her face and she'll follow you anywhere. <laughs> oh my god i know i know it's comical how crazy this is like this is insane has the has the lingo changed nowadays or do they know exactly what they're doing as advertisers by saying blow in her face like do do they do they know what they have Yes. I mean, yes, they had to. Lingo has not changed. It was the 70s. It wasn't the 1800s. Like maybe you could have gotten, maybe we could have been like, oh, there was a language barrier. (laughs) No, 70s. Um, Oh my God. So this is a ad. This is actually, so it says it's a woman and it says, I'm Joe fly me and it is she is a female flight attendant and actually there was a ton of flight attendant advertising um Mm. that was like over sexualized because women were starting to fly well no because they were that's why they had stewardesses because it was a women's only job the old flight attendants and it was a so they were trying to recruit beautiful women that was like the because men were the main patrons of flying so they tried to recruit it was like a whole experience Ugh. It gives me heebie-jeebies. Next ad, cigarettes are like women. The best ones are thin and rich. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so that's all I got. And I would highly recommend going and checking out our Facebook group because I'll be posting all of these advertisements in the group. And they are just... 
comical at best. Oh my god. They're great in a so, comic way. Let's let's in, preface it's that. It's interesting because the 70s were such a progressive time for women. Like this was really where the advances in politics and medicine, um, women were able to start thinking about careers as well as jobs. So they weren't just like going to a factory mm. and work in the factory line. They were really starting to think of themselves in careers. Um, and yeah. They yeah. were able to consider divorce for the first time. Uh, so women in society oh. were actually empowered. Um, however, that wasn't reflected in advertising. Um, they were able to start thinking about their lives playing out on somewhat equal footing. But even at the height of this women's liberation in the 70s, products aimed to female consumers were actually marketed to men. And this is where I want to start stop this part one and go into part two, where advertising moved away from a reflection of society into telling society what it wants. So I just kind of gave you a, a brief history of you know, the 1800s, 20s, 50s, and the 70s, where it was a reflection of the gender roles. But now advertising yeah. has the power to tell society what it wants. Thanks for listening. Do you think we messed up somewhere? Let us know by joining our Facebook group, Manipulating the Masses Podcast. See you there.